Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse number 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we've been talking about how to put your faith into operation, how to cause your faith to work. And we have been talking about the, the, the important subject of the confession of faith. We pointed out there, there that the Bible mentions different kinds of confession. Most people, when they think of confession, they only think of the confession of sin. But you can run your references in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular. You can run your references and you'll find out that there are more references to the confession of faith than there are to the confession of sin. That doesn't mean the confession of sin is not important. It is important in its place. If you, if you have sin in your life, you need to confess it. Amen. And, and, and get rid of it. But we shouldn't live there just constantly going over sins that we've already confessed because when we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if, if we're forgiven and we're cleansed, then we don't keep going over it again. We don't keep dragging that back up. It, it's, it's not right to do that. It doesn't honor God to do that. It's not humility to do that. It's ignorance to do that. Amen. It's, it's denying what God said about sin and forgiveness when we do that. We don't want to do that. Amen. But the Bible teaches the confession of faith and it talks about a good confession. You hear people talking about making a good confession. Well, what does it mean to make a good confession? Uh, go with me over to, uh, to uh, 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. What is a good confession? A good confession is the confession of truth. Not the confession of facts, but the confession of truth. There's a difference between facts and truth. Facts can change. Present realities in your life can change. Situations can change. Circumstances can change. But at the time, they're factual. But truth never changes. Jesus said to, when praying he, to the Father, he said, your word is truth. The word of God is true. Con, the confession of, uh, of faith and a good confession is the confession of what the word says. The word confess or, or confession in the New Testament comes from a Greek word. It's, it's a compound word and it means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. Well, how does that apply to the confession of sin? You know in your heart when you miss it. Nobody has to tell you. You know on the inside of you in your own heart, in your own spirit, man, whenever you've done wrong. Well, to, con to confess that sin is to say the same thing that your heart says. Say, yep, I, I did wrong. I missed it. So you're agreeing with something. You're saying the same thing that your heart's saying. That's the confession of sin but also to say the same thing that the word says. When I miss it and I ask God to forgive me, I always quote 1 John 1, 9, and I say, I thank you, Father, that you have forgiven me and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. My confession of, of sin turns then into a confession of faith. 
I, I, I immediately say, I thank you, Father, that I'm forgiven. My righteousness is, 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 my sense of righteousness is restored. Everything is fresh and new. Glory to God. That, that becomes a confession of faith on my part. And, and so the Bible teaches making good confessions. Well, who is it in the Bible? How many people in the Bible do we have examples of uh, who actually made good confessions? Are you in 1 Timothy 6? Let's start in verse number 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Jesus Christ who witnessed or confessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Now, when did this happen? You remember the story when Jesus stood before, before Pilate and, uh, and, and he, he brought him out to the people and examined him and, and said, you know, uh, he brought him out to the people and said, I, I find no, no fault in this man. And he brought him back in. Now, Matthew, one of the gospels, don't, uh, do not record this, I don't remember which one of it is, but uh, a couple of them only say that Pilate asked him, you know, are you a king? And he said, you say right that I am. What was he doing? He was confessing the truth. He was a king. Now, John's gospel goes into more detail because uh, at first Jesus didn't answer him and Pilate said, are you not gonna answer me? Do you not understand that I have the authority to condemn you or, or set you free? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you by, by God. He said, because my kingdom is not of this world, if my kingdom was of this world, my, my, my uh, uh, servants would fight for me, but my kingdom is not from this world. And Pilate says, so you're a king then. He said, you said it right. I'm a king, that's why I came. Now, that might not sound anything remarkable to you. He was, listen, remember, remember our studies on, on, on Jesus? He became a man he was not, he, he was God. We understand, I'm not gonna go through all that. He was God. But at the same time, he humbled himself and he was operating in all the limitations of a man. He was still, st as a man, standing before somebody that was gonna execute him, send the order to execute him. You tell, you tell me there's not a temptation to kind of compromise a little bit? So, well, well, hold on here just a minute. You say, well, no, Jesus wouldn't do that. He was in all points tempted as we are. And he boldly confessed the truth even though he knew it would, take, it, it would cost him his life. We have to have that same determination. We're gonna confess the truth no matter what. Now, most of the time, it's not gonna cost us our life, but the enemy will get in our faith and he'll say, you know, if you say this, if you act this way, if you believe God, if you do such and such, you know what's gonna happen to you? You stand up and say, I'm telling you, devil, the word says, the Bible says, this is the truth and you confess it. It was called a, a good confession. Jesus confessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Well, if Jesus does, it's good for you to do it. Amen. Amen. Go back to 1 Timothy 6. Let's back up two verses. But you, O man of God, now he's talking to Timothy here, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith excuse me, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession 
in the presence of many witnesses. Well, not only did Jesus do it, Paul said Timothy did it. He said you, and see, this is how you fight the good fight of faith. You are, you are not fighting the good fight of faith like it needs to be fought unless you are making good confessions. Amen. Unless you are speaking the word of God. He said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and you have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, in, in this sense, the, the confession he's talking about here is his confession in Christ. He confessed Jesus as the Lord of his life. And notice, he said, you confess this good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's why when I invite people to come forward on a Sunday morning to receive the Lord, I, I, I don't just pray for people. I used to do this and just pray for people, just raise your hand, pray for them, you know, and let them go. I don't know what happens then. I don't know if, if they followed through just because they believe. I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing with their, with their belief. I call them up to the front because I want them to, to make a good confession in the presence of witnesses. It matters that you're bold in your confession. Now, when it comes to the confession of Christ, you can't do this in secret. You can't, there are no closet Christians. You're, you're not ashamed of Christ you can't be ashamed of him and really know him. You can't be ashamed of him and really have a relationship with him. Right. Amen. You have to be bold enough to say it. Now, when it comes to other confessions you make about your personal life and things that you're believing God for, you, you don't necessarily have to just go out and look for somebody and make confessions. It's between you and God. But at the same time, you will have opportunities. People will say things to you, ask things of you, and you'll be tempted to say something other than the word says because you don't know how people are gonna understand it. You have to have, a, you have, to have the boldness to say what the word says even, even when people are hearing that might not understand. Don't go, don't, you can't go out of here saying by his stripes I'm healed and when you get to work say, well, yeah, I, I've, I've had this cold for three days. Come on. You're either gonna speak the truth or you're not. He said you confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, now, what, what's, what would be, if there's a good confession, there's a bad confession. Now, we looked, I think, week before last over at uh, in the book of Numbers. Let's go over there again. Numbers chapter 13. You remember before the children of Israel, uh, Joshua eventually took them over into the land of Canaan after 40 years. But before that happened, uh, soon after they came out of, of Egypt, the children of Israel, uh, Moses sent 12 spies to go over to the land of Canaan. And remember, God gave the land of Canaan to Abraham. He said, I have given you all of the land. And he identified geographically from the Mediterranean all the way over to the river Euphrates. He said, I give it to you and to your descendants forever. Well, when Moses, now he also told Abraham he had, a, he had a visitation one night 
And the Lord showed him that his descendants would go into bondage for 400 years and they would be slaves under a, a, an evil ruler. That was Pharaoh. Then he said, after that time, they will come out and they'll go into the land. Well, it, it, they had come out of Egypt. It was time to go into the land. It was the land God gave them. He said, it's yours. But you know, there were people in those, in those lands, in those nations, in those cities, and, and they thought it was their land. But if God says it's yours, it's yours. The devil might say your life is his, but if, it's not, if God says your life is God's, then it's God's. Amen. The devil's not your ruler. He might like to tell you he is. He might like to tell you, no, I've, I've had you in the grip of this illness or in the grip of this poverty all of your life and, and I'm never gonna let you go. You say, no, 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 no. I've been translated out of your hand into God's hand. And you're not my Lord anymore. And I'm not your slave anymore. I've come out. Yeah. Said he brought them out with a strong arm and delivered them. Well, he delivered us, glory to God, from the authority of darkness. Translated us into the kingdom of his, of his dear son. And in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and a full inheritance in Christ. Yeah. That belongs to us. Yeah. So... Moses sent the 12 spies to go over into the land of, of, uh, of Canaan. He didn't send them in there to find out if they could take it. He sent them in there in, in, in uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 intelligence gathering. Yeah, reconnaissance or intelligence gathering mission so they would know where everything was. So that they came back, 10 of the spies came back and said, oh, it's a great land. It's just the way the Lord described it. It's just wonderful, just flowing with milk and honey. It has all of this great uh, produce and fruit. And they brought back examples from it. And they said, but, but, whenever you're talking about the things of God and what belongs to you, don't finish your sentence, but, and start something else. You just got into unbelief. Yeah. But the people there are strong and great and we can't take the land. Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, God has given the land of, to us. We're more than able. Let's go up right now and take it. Look at uh, chapter 13. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Now notice, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inheritance and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and wept all night long. The Bible said that was a bad report. Now was it a true report? No. But was it a factual report? Excuse me, it, 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 it was not a true report but it was a factual report. That's what I'm trying to say. To a degree, the giants were there. The cities were great and walled and, and mighty fortresses. Those were facts. But then they interpreted the, the facts to deny the truth. 
Because the truth was, God said it's yours. So they looked at the facts and said, the facts don't look good. The facts tell us something different. And then they interpreted that and they denied the truth. And they said, we are nothing but grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes. That was not true. If you, if you read on over in Joshua, the book of Joshua, when, when Joshua took the children of Israel in 40 years later and took Jericho, the, the Rahab and Jericho said, as soon as we heard 40 years ago, as soon as we heard that your God had delivered you out of Egypt and all the miracles he did on your behalf, how he, how he overthrew, overthrew Pharaoh and his army and drowned them in the sea. We've been shaking in our boots for 40 years. Thinking, oh Lord, when are they gonna show up? I know they're coming this way. And these 10 spies said, we were, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes and so we were in their eyes. No, they were grasshoppers in their own eyes because they got their eyes off the word. You get your eyes off the word, you'll develop a grasshopper mentality. Yeah. Amen. You'll develop a grasshopper mentality. You'll, look, you'll be jumping all around from everything. Every time the devil snaps his fingers, you'll jump. Amen. You need to see yourself as a conqueror. You're not a grasshopper. The devil will try to tell you you are. He'll try to tell you how big and strong he is. He is defeated. He, he has been put under Jesus' feet. He has been utterly stripped of his authority over you and you have been enthroned with Christ in heavenly places with Satan under your feet, just like we sang this morning. You need to remind him who the grasshopper is. Amen. You remind him who the grasshopper is. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When you speak contrary to what the word says, the Bible calls it a bad report. And what happened to these people? If you read on through there in the book of Numbers, on the chapter 13, 14, you'll find out that God said to them, because you believe, talked into the whole, the whole uh, uh, nation of Israel, because you believed these spies. Now, those 10 spies were executed. But the rest of the congregation, he said, because you believed them, instead of believing God, and you accepted what they said, he said, you're gonna have what you said. You're not going in. They said, we, we can't go in. He said, all of you are gonna die off. And you were gonna wander in the, in the wilderness for 40 years until all of you are dead. Because you said we can't go in. You're not going in. I tell you, it, it's important what you say. I said what you say is important. You are going to have what you say for either for good or for bad. See, people say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know about that confession stuff. You're using it all the time. You're speaking it all the time. And see, the enemy will take the words that you say that are contrary to the word of God. He'll take your words. The Bible says that you are ensnared by your words. You're taken and you're snared by your words. That's in the book of Proverbs. The devil will ensnare you with your words. And he will, that gives him the right 
to bring whatever it is you've said and the destruction and the, and the calamity and the trouble and the defeat and the failure that you speak, it gives him the right to impose that on you. But if you will in faith say what God says and keep on saying it, if you'll say it truthfully from your heart long enough and with faith, it will change your life. The word of God coming out of your mouth will change your life. It'll change your life. Now, your life is not going to change overnight. You didn't get where you are overnight. You didn't get in the, into the mess you're in overnight. Amen. But if you'll put your words to work for you, you can change the course of your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Some people say, well, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm afraid I'd be lying. You know, if I said I have some, I, I, you know, I, I can see I've got, you know, my hands are all crippled up with arthritis. I, I, I can feel that I'm not healed. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is that right for me to say I'm healed when I, I can see I'm not healed? Go with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Romans 10. Now we know that Romans chapter 10 gives us the cardinal rule of faith in verse 9 and 10. And it has to do with salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So believing unto righteousness, confession made unto salvation. He's talking about the salvation experience. And he says, this is how it works. It works by believing it in your heart, and saying it with your mouth. Now, if that works for, for, if, if that works for salvation, it, that's, that's the way faith works for everything. This is the principle of how faith works. It works for salvation the same way it works for any, anything else. The principles of faith are the same in every arena of need. Any kind of faith transaction you want to consider, this is how it works. Now, let's examine this in the light of this question. Is it right to say you have something when you can see you don't have it? Would you be lying? Well, let's look at the sinner. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, will be, will be. Now, let's, let's just say we have a sinner sitting right here in this chair. He came into the church today. He's a sinner. He's never heard the gospel before. And while I'm preaching, maybe, maybe he's heard the gospel before, but he's rejected. He's, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't like that God thing. I'm just not into religion. You know how people are. I'm not, you know, not interested in that. But let's say he's sitting in church here, and as I'm preaching teach, and preaching the word of God, in his heart he begins to see, you know, I, there's something to this. He begins to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he, and that he died for his sins and that God raised him from the dead. He begins to, he begins to believe that. He, the Bible calls it, calls it being enlightened when the light comes. 
Well, the light comes. A person can't come to Christ before the light comes. But when the light comes, he still hasn't come to Christ. He's been enlightened. So he sees it. He believes it. Is he saved? Is he saved? No, he just, he's enlightened. He believes. He sees it. He believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and the Savior and that he died for his sin. He believes it. Now notice, he has to do two things in order to be saved. One, he has to believe. Secondly, he has to confess. Now, if he believes but he doesn't confess, is he saved? If he confesses but he doesn't believe, is he saved? No, he has to believe and confess. So he believes in his heart that Jesus is the Savior. And I mean, he, the more he hears me preach, I mean, he just, it's just going off on the inside of him. He's ready. Now, according to this, he has to confess with his mouth that Jesus is his Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. At the point at which he confesses it, is Jesus his Lord? Listen to me. No. Jesus isn't his Lord. He's a sinner. He believes, but Jesus isn't his Lord. Jesus hasn't become his Lord yet. He has to confess that Jesus is his Lord while Jesus isn't his Lord. Are you following me? Jesus is not his Lord. He's sitting there, he's a ranked sinner. He's lived for the devil all of his life and suddenly in church he sees the truth and he's ready to be saved and he he believes, but he has to say that Jesus is his Lord when Jesus is not his Lord. Is he lying? No, he's making a confession of faith. He is confessing in faith that Jesus is Jesus is not there. I'm pointing there. <laughs> he has to confess that Jesus is his Lord in faith. In faith, he says, Jesus is my Lord when Jesus isn't his Lord. But what happens? As soon as he confesses it, then God moves in his heart and Jesus becomes his Lord just like he confessed when he wasn't his Lord. Your confession of Christ is what gave Jesus lordship over you. When you confess the Lord Jesus, it, it, it puts you under his care. It, it puts him over you. He, you place yourself in his life. Or, or your life rather in his hands and, and, and under his protection and care by the words of your mouth when at the point at which you said it, it wasn't true but you believed and you said it and when you did, you came up, you came right, that just, that just brought you right in to the, to, the, uh, to the protecting care, oversight, love, dominion of Jesus Christ. He became your Lord right then. It's the same in any other arena of faith. When you believe in your heart that that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and pains, when you believe that, even though it's not true in your life right then, there's no reality of it, when you confess it, when you say it in faith, that's when it becomes a reality right then. 
right then. You see, your confession of the word gives the word dominance in your life. Your confession of the word gives the word dominance in your life. The word, let me say it like this. The word of God, the promises of God, the covenant, everything that belongs to us, the word of God will have no place in your life until you believe it and boldly confess it. The promises of God will have no place in your life until you believe it and boldly confess it. The covenant that's ours, the provisions of the covenant, everything that belongs to us, none of those things will have any place in your life. They will not have any reality in your life until you boldly confess it. Now, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us how it works. Tells us how it works. But go back to Romans chapter 4 and, and it will show us why it works that way. Romans 10 showed us how it works. Romans 4 will show us why it works the way it works. Now, I, I said, are there some examples in the Bible of people making confessions of faith? We pointed out Timothy. We looked at Jesus. Let's look at God. <laughs> that would be a pretty good example in Romans chapter 4, let's start in verse 16. Just it's, it's hard to find a place to start. We'll just jump in in verse 16. But I'm really going to pick up in verse 17. But just, just to back up a little bit, start in verse 16. Romans 4, 16. Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now notice verse 17. As it is written, now this is God speaking here from the book of Genesis. Genesis 17, this is a quote. As it is written, to, he's speaking to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Now when he said this, he wasn't the father of many nations. I think in, in Genesis 17, he had Ishmael already. He had one son, but he's 99 years old. He's got one son. He's 13 years old. So it was a miracle for him to have a son at 86, but now he's 99. God said, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, factually, factually, was he the father of many nations? No, he's father of one little 13-year-old kid. <laughs> and he wasn't even the one that the promise was going to come through. There was one yet to be born, Isaac, that the promise was going to come through. But when God said it, it wasn't factually true, but he said it anyway. Yeah, but that's God. He can do stuff like that because he's God. Well, now, wait a minute. We're talking about moral right. We're talking about is it right to say things that don't appear to be true? Yeah, well, notice, notice let's go on reading. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead 
and cause those things which do not exist as though they did. That's what God does. God made a confession of faith where Abraham was concerned. He he was calling things which be not as though they were, things that did not exist as though they did exist. And he said, I have made you a father of many nations. People say, well, that's okay for God to do that because he's God. But you know what? It's no, God has no more right morally to lie than you do. He has less right to lie than you do. Because if God's a liar, he's not God. Think of all the attributes of God. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's, you know, all of those attributes of God. But one of the attributes of God is he can't lie. And if he's a liar, he's not God. Even if he is omnipotent and all those other things, if he's a liar, then he's the devil. So God doesn't have the moral right to tell a lie any more than you do. He has less right because he's God and he can't lie. So if it's not wrong for God to lie, if it's not wrong for God, if it's not a lie, let me straighten this out. If it's not a lie, get my theology straight here. It's not, Come on, you get up here sometime and try this. <laughs> if it's not a lie for God to speak the truth when it doesn't appear to be the truth and it doesn't even exist, he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. If it's not lying for him to do it, it's not lying for you to do it. But listen to me, not just on anything. Don't, you just can't go around life just lying all the time <laughs> or any time. What I'm saying is when you're speaking what God says, if God says something is true, even though it might not exist, your, 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 your hand and your body may still be racked with disease in the natural as far as, as far as facts are concerned. But if God says you're healed, you start saying what God said and it's not a lie. Now, let me take it a little bit further. People say, yeah, well, God does this because he has the power to give life to the dead. I mean, he's God. His words are creative. He designed you and I that our words spoken in faith also be creative. Book of Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, death and life, I think it is, are in the power of the tongue. As a matter of fact, making the point here that not only has God's, not only does God's, does God have creative power in his words. Remember, he spoke over the emptiness and said, let there be light. Romans 10 tells us how it works. Romans 4 tells us why it works this way. It works because there is creative power released when we speak the word of God. When God spoke, creative power was released. God didn't create this world, this universe with a, a magic wand and fairy dust. He didn't, he didn't go through some kind of magical incantation, some kind of a, a dramatic 
you know, something kind of an act or a, or a you know, uh, 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 some kind of a ceremony, you know, with dis- that's not the way he did it. That's the way, that's, if somebody was going to create something, that's the way they think we are going, I'm going to, you know, get everybody together, I'm going to turn the lights down, you know, put the music just right, and I'm going to say some spooky stuff. That's not what God did. He said, out of, over the aching void of emptiness, he said, let there be light. Light. Creation comes as a result of faith spoken words. Now that's a truth that we see in God. And it's a truth that God has given us in our own lives when we speak the word of God. You can't just make stuff up in this work. <laughs> One guy, we, I pastored, as a guy that I pastored years ago was in the church, he, he kept saying, I'm going to win the lottery. No, it wasn't, we didn't have a lottery back then. He said, I'm going to win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And he was claiming that. I'm going to win that. And I said, based on what scripture? Well, he said, I can have anything I say. I said, yeah, but anything you say that's according to the Bible. And I don't see that in the Bible. Yes, you can, comp- you can claim to prosper. God's going to prosper you. But you can't claim I'm going to win the, 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 uh, the uh, publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. That's not in the Bible. So whenever you say things, when Jesus said you'll have whatever you say, he's talking about things that are in line with the word. Things that you can find in the Bible. But given that, when you, when you say words, when you speak the word of God, God's creative power works through your words. Did it, did it work that way in the, in the life of the sinner? Our imaginary sinner over here? Yeah, creative power came into place whenever he spoke the words, Jesus is the Lord of my life. God's creative power moved on him, gave him new birth. He became a new creation in Christ. That's how it happens. Now, well, praise the Lord. Let's go, let's go back. Romans 4, I'm trying Romans 4. How many other examples do I have? No. Let's, do, let's get this one. Romans 4. Now, in my old Cambridge, uh, regular King James, my, my Cambridge Bible, where it says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Those words where it says, in the presence of him. In my old Cambridge Bible, it says, like unto him whom he believed. And I've got other old commentaries that, that translate that the same way. Let's read it that way. As it is written, God's talking, I have made you a father of many nations like unto him whom he believes, believe God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, like unto him, he's talking about Abraham. Notice verse 16. But also to those who are, who are, are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, parentheses, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, end of parentheses, like unto him whom he believed. Who did he believe? Even God. 
Abraham was like unto God in the sense that Abraham spoke the word of God too. See, God took Abraham aside. We won't take time to read it, but you go over the 17th chapter of Genesis. God said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations and your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. The name Abram meant, because back then everybody's names meant something. And people understood, your name means something. Look up your name. You'll find it, it has some crazy meaning, you know. Has no reality, you know, just some meaning. But we don't think that way. But back then, people, when they heard a name, they heard the meaning. That's what, that's what, they, that's what resonated. The name Abram meant exalted father. But it was a title of respect. It was a, it was a, a, a title of, of, of being highly esteemed, exalted father. It really didn't have anything to do with having children. It was just a title of exaltation, exalted father. He was given that name by, his, by when he was a baby. <laughs> so he, he, it was just a name of, 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 of honor that his father gave him, Abram. But God said, your name will no longer be Abram. Your name from this day forward will be Abraham. And the name Abraham means a father of multitudes. And that's when he said, I have made you a father of many nations and your name will no longer be Abram. It'll be father of a multitude. Now, Abram was 99 years old. He had been Abram all his life. Everybody knew him as Abe, Abram. Hey, Abram. And at 99 years of, of age, he has one 13-year-old boy and he's 99 and he's got an 89-year-old wife and he has to tell all of his friends when they call him Abram, uh, hold it, that's not my name anymore. My name is father of a multitude. <laughs> oh, really? I'm looking at your boy and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your old lady and you've gone to calling yourself father of a multitude? When Abraham began to say what God said, every time he said, no, my, no, no, I've told you before, I'm telling you again, my name is Abraham. I'm the father of a multitude. What was he doing? He was calling those things which be not as though they were like unto him whom he believed. God who does the same thing. That's what faith does. That's so that's why I say Romans 4 tells us why. Romans 10 tells us how it works. Romans 4 tells, it how, tells us why it works this way because it's a principle of God that God calls things which be not as though they were and we're supposed to be like unto him and do the same thing. And when we call things which do not exist as though they did, I'm not talking about crazy stuff or things that aren't biblical, but when you, when you call things which do not exist in the natural because you see it in the word of God and you start calling it so, it's so in my life, it's real in my life, I have it, it's mine. Glory to God. God moves on those faith-filled words. 
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.